0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The U.S. men's National team closed out their 2021 fixture list with a friendly against Bosnia-Herzegovina. The U.S. ended up winning that match 1-0 with a late-game goal from Cole Bassett. And as predicted, it was fairly uninspiring, unfun 90 minutes of soccer that most of us watch in the background of whatever Christmas party we happen to be at. Now, that being said, you know, there are some things that we can learn from this game and there are some things that we can analyze and check out moving forward. And that's exactly what we're going to do today on this episode of The Yank Report. What's up? My name is Sam. This is The Yank Report, the show we talk about the U.S. men's national team. And if you're into that sort of thing, please hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, hang out with us, check out more videos. Let's get into it, starting where we usually start, the goalkeepers. Uh, And Matt Turner was the goalkeeper as expected. Uh, He got the 90 minutes. Not much you could say about his performance. He didn't really get tested very often. and certainly once uh, Bosnia went down to ten men, uh, it didn't look like he was gonna get tested much at all. So moving on uh, to the defense, and that's where we have some interesting things happen. Uh, I know heading into this game, I wanted to see Aaron long. Aaron Long was a health was a scratch. Uh, he was not fit enough for that 90 minutes, so that's a bit disappointing. However, we know that you know w- because Greg brought Aaron Long into um, that last World qualifying camp, and then he brought him into this camp. That Greg very much believes that Aaron Long is going to be part of this group moving forward, which is interesting, you know, because we do have four center backs uh, that are pretty good. Five, if you count Mark McKenzie. So we have uh, John Brooks. Chris Richards, um, miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman 4 guys who I think have all proved themselves fairly reliable in CONCACAF. Uh, then you have Mark McKenzie that makes five, but Greg is very adamant about bringing Aaron long to be a part of this group. And, you know, if you look at Aaron long, uh, his profile is very similar to Miles Robinson, and Miles Robinson has been the dominant center back of this group throughout World Cup qualifying. Uh, so, how will Aaron Long will Aaron Long be a part of this group? You know, what does Greg really have in store? I, I think uh, Greg, uh, and this will be a recurring theme as we go through this lineup, is really interested in. Um, in navigating potential injuries because though we have some good players in place at a lot of positions we are fairly thin uh and and a few injuries at center back could have us in a tough situation so uh having Aaron Long available uh whether he pushes one of those guys out of that top four or you know he's he's the fifth center back on call or whatever it is uh could be a good thing moving forward definitely something that Greg's interested in moving forward now the other interesting thing here is uh Jonathan Gomez, the player that everybody wanted to see, the one of the biggest hyped players of this entire roster, uh, did not get the start. Ended up being George Bello. George Bello kind of had that George Bello game that we've come to know, where you know he had some nice slide tackles, he had some nice moments in defense, but he also had some moments where uh, he he kind of lapsed. Uh, and whenever I say lapsed, there's there's moments where you expect him to be in one position and he's just not. Uh, there's ex- moments where you expect him to make a certain play and he just doesn't. We're still waiting for George Bello to turn that corner. Still, still a very hype, very young player. Still a player that's getting. Interest from overseas, but a player that just hasn't really clicked yet in a way that some of the other young players have and have turned a corner and and are really uh, contributing to this team. So is George Bellow going to be in the mix of the left back position moving forward for the national team without significant injury to that position? I don't see it. Now, uh, whenever it comes to Jonathan Gomez, he did come in late in the game and uh, did contribute to that uh, that goal. Uh, he, he's a decisive player. He's, he's an attacking player, but uh, he didn't get very many minutes in this game, so it's hard to really rate him for that. You know, the people who are very high on Jonathan Gomez are going to continue to be John- high on Jonathan Gomez following this game. Uh, the people who want to see more are going to want to see more. Uh, he's on his way to Real Sociedad, so... That'll be the true test of Jonathan Gomez moving forward. The big thing for him, and, and I've mentioned this in some other videos and on some other channels and talked to a lot of people about this, let me interrupt the video for one second to let you know we got a sponsor, guys. We got a new sponsor for the channel, and that is BetOnline. Online is back and better than ever with more props and more lines and more bets than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all football and basketball action this season, but they also have a ton of soccer lines uh, available If that's something that you're into head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your bonus. So, I know a lot of you, like myself, are fans of multiple sports, so if you're into baseball, basketball, NFL, you can find it all there, but they also have lines for Premier League games, uh, Serie A games, uh, Spanish Premier Division games, Champions League games, whatever. uh, The whole world of European soccer is available to you at BetOnline. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. That left back position, assuming that Greg is going to be bringing two left backs to Qatar, uh, it's going to be a tough group to break into. Uh, you know, we have um, Anthony Robinson, who's basically the incumbent at that position, and then we have. We have Joe Scally, who has not, really, has not gotten a start or playing time yet uh, for the full group, but just about everybody feels like uh, he's got the resume and the talent that uh, will, will be a part of this lineup, whether he's starting on the left or a backup on the left or, or a backup on the right, whatever. He's going to be included in this group, and he's played some very good, very high-level minutes at that left-back position. Uh, so for Jonathan Gomez to break into that, He's going to have to be better than George Bello. He's going to have to be better than Sam Vines, who Sam Vines himself uh, has hit the ground running in Belgium and seems to be putting in some good performances over there. So it's going to be a tough road to hoe for Jonathan Gomez. In the right-back position, Brooks Lennon was one of the better performers on the day, but, you know, Brooks Lennon is a player that's, pretty far down in the right-back depth chart himself. Uh, He's a player that, while is a quality player uh, for Atlanta United, is not a player that has any uh, European ambition at this point. I remember he started his career at Liverpool Liverpool, but never really broke through over there. Uh, I I think... uh, it's one of those things where he had a good game and credit to him. And maybe he's a part of some camps like this in the future. But I think if we look at our right back depth chart, if, if there's a situation where the European based players are able to come in, I don't know if Brooks Lennon Brooks is going to be a part of many of those groups uh, moving forward. The player uh, that was kind of hyped that ended up getting minutes at right back later in the game, uh, Brian Reynolds. Of course, Brian Reynolds makes the blockbuster trade over, uh, sorry, the blockbuster transfer over to Roma. But you know, does does not hit the ground running. His the coach that brought him in leaves. He ends up with Jose Mourinho, and it's just been iced ever since. And it has not looked good uh, in the minutes that we've seen from him at Roma. Was uh, you know you see the, the the athleticism and the crossing and and the quality that he has, but uh, he's got a he's got to put it together. I, I don't know if he's going to be able to put it together in time for 2022. He might be a 2026 guy, uh, but he's a player that just desperately needs playing time. Maybe he gets a move in this window and, and things are looking better for him. But as of right now, uh, he, he's on the outside looking in. Whatever it comes to the the World Cup qualifying 23. So let's move to the midfield line for the first real point of contention and, and a, a really puzzling Thing from uh, Greg Burholter here because at the sixth spot, you know, we all expect to see Kellen Acosta there, uh, but he ends up going with Johnny Cardoso, which is frustrating because that meant that Kellen Acosta would be played as an eight. And we know from a lot of games I mean, the Panama game, the Canada game, a lot of the games where the U.S. has struggled. Kellen Acosta has been played as an 8. You know, love or hate Kellen Acosta, uh, being an attacking midfielder is just not in his bag. That's not his thing, and he struggles every time we've seen him do it. So to see him in this friendly, uh, deployed as an 8, that means that Greg, at least in his world, uh, in the Greg Berhalter universe, Kellen Acosta is still potentially considered an 8, which is a scary thing moving forward. We know about the 8 struggles. We'll talk about that in a second. But as far as Johnny Cardoso, uh, I know in the preview video, whenever I talked to uh, Jake from FIFA America, we talked about how Johnny Cardoso has been, like, good, but not, like, spectacular uh, in the games that I've watched him in Brazil. And it's more or less the same. I I mean, my opinion didn't change too much on Johnny Cardoso. I mean, he's a useful player. You see that that ability on the ball, that ability to turn and, and find the safe pass. What you don't see is, like, mind-blowing line-breaking passes, big diagonals, stuff like that, like really impressive things that make you kind of jump out of your seat. And you don't see – he's not an athlete with the ability to uh, – to really have a lot of range and shut things down, you don't see the awareness that like a Tyler Adams has. You know, he's not um, he's not as quite quite as tough on the ball as like a Yunus Musa. Uh, so he's a he's a useful player, but I don't know if he's going to be relevant to the national team in this uh, 2022 World Cup qualifying window. Moving up to the eights, and this is where. You know, we had some interesting things here. We had Kellen Acosta and Christian Roldan, which, you know, if you were to ask the fan base who would be the two uh, least sexy players to start in the eight spots, I think they would have agreed on uh, Kellen Acosta and Christian Roldan. Kellen Acosta, of course, as we just said, not much of an eight, more of a six. No, not great on the ball. Uh, not gonna find a lot of line-breaking passes. Not gonna find too many passes at all. So that puts a lot of uh, a lot of the emphasis for the for the offense for for the moving the ball upfield to Christian Roldan. And that's just, I mean, that's that's a little bit too much to ask from Christian Roldan. Um, this is a game where. You know, nobody had a bad performance. I, I'm not going to say that. The, the quality of the opposition, this Bosnia-Herzegovina team, uh, this was a thrown-together team from their domestic league that uh, had less caps than the U.S., which is kind of crazy. That almost never happens. Uh, so this was not a very good uh, quality opposition from Bosnia. Uh, so the U.S. dominated the majority of possession, especially after uh, the red card. So it's not like anybody had great game, uh, bad games, but, you know, Acosta and Roldan are two players that are um, generally a part of the first team. Uh, And and I think Greg wanted some continuity. Uh, He wanted some controls there that he could measure the guys around them with. Uh, But that meant that we were not going to just have great offense, but we're not going to be very creative on the field because uh, those two guys together just don't spark the creativity. Uh, Moving up uh, in our forward line, we had Jesus Ferreira, Ricardo Pepe, and Jordan Morris, and this was this was the most exciting part of the team, at least for me, because you know we got to see the return of Jordan Morris, a player that Greg has spoken very highly of. We know that Greg, he's going to be very important to uh, to Greg's national team picture moving forward, maybe in the capacity of like an Aaron Long, where uh, he, he's. Jordan Morris clearly isn't back to to full health. He's clearly lacking sharpness. Uh, There were some moments in the game where maybe the old Jordan Morris would have been a little bit more decisive, but he's getting back into form, and that's totally understandable given his injury. Uh, But I would imagine that he's on right on the cusp, right on the bubble, at least in Greg's eyes and potentially contributing to the winger position uh, moving forward for the national team. If you consider like our top four guys are, are pretty much set in stone. They're very, very good players in, uh, in Bernard Aronson, Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah, and Giovanni Reina. However, th- that four p- group of players has not been healthy all the time. Very often. And, and heading into January, uh, Tim Weah is out with his club and Giovanni Reyna still hasn't returned. Uh, so, depth is going to be important. Once again, we're repeating that mantra, depth, depth, depth. In the past, we saw Paul Areola come to the squad, And Paul Areola, while he brings a lot of running and a lot of activity and a lot of defending, just doesn't bring too much in the final third. Uh, Jordan Morris can do a lot of those things, but he's also a decisive and quality finisher in the final third whenever he's at his peak. So uh, to say that Jordan Morris is maybe the fifth or sixth player in the depth chart at the winger position, um, that's not saying that he's never going to get minutes moving forward and qualifying, considering how many injuries we've seen and how much rotation we've seen from this group. Uh, it, It might... it it might happen that Jordan Morris is a part of the winger position in the January group. And Jordan Morris provided uh, a a great goal opportunity with his diving header that got saved uh, by the Bosnia keeper, which was, one of the better chances that we had on frame all game long. Uh, now, a lot of that goes to the two other guys, uh, Jesus Ferreira and uh, Ricardo Pepe. Jesus Ferreira, I, I've been speaking about seeing Jesus Ferreira in a winger position for the U.S. for a long time. Uh, while he wasn't exactly Pele out of the, out there unlocking a lot of things, we saw a lot of nice moments from Jesus Ferreira, then we saw some not-so-nice not so nice moments for Jesus Ferreira. Um, if I had to choose, if I had my choice between Jordan Morris and Jesus Ferreira, with a uh, Jordan Morris being healthy and sharp and in form, I think I would choose Jordan Morris at this point, but you know, having Jesus Ferreira as another option, I, I still think I like Jesus Ferreira maybe more than Paul Ariola, And I do like Jesus Ferreira out wide more than I do as a second striker. I'm sorry, as a striker because the U S doesn't really have a second striker and that's what Jesus likes to play. And it's just a little convoluted and complicated and uh, just, it, it doesn't work, especially whenever you're away in CONCACAF against these big physical defenders that are parking, the bus and and, and making it uh, as physical as possible and difficult to play through, that's never going to be Jesus Ferreira's game. Uh, so I would much prefer to see Jesus out wide or like as an eight or anywhere else as opposed to uh, the striker position. But still, he's pretty far down in the depth chart. Now, the guy who's at the top of the depth chart uh, is Ricardo Pepe. But, you know, the thing about Ricardo Pepe is in the last few months of of MLS, his production kind of fell off a bit. And there's a lot of people out there chirping, uh, kind of questioning, is Ricardo Pepe, the guy moving forward should uh, should the u s have a, have a new striker option? What happens to Pepe if he makes this move to Europe and stops getting playing time you know there 's a lot of unknowns about the striker position for the u s that you know a month ago we thought we thought Pepe was just uh, the savior and was going to um, take over the striker position for the next 20 years, and now that's a little bit in doubt. Now, the thing is, Ricardo Pepe is still a very young player. He's still 18 years old, and the trade-off with youth, the trade-off with young players is uh, you're going to get excitement, you're going to get speed, you're going to get energy, uh, you're going to get that youthful exuberance, and sometimes that youthful ignorance, which is a good thing in sports because maybe they're not in their head as much and not too afraid of the moment, but on the flip side of that is you're going to get inconsistency, um, and you're going to get frustration, frustrating moments, and we're seeing that from Ricardo Pepe right now, where he kind of hit the ground running, scored some goals, uh, contributed to the attack in his first few games for the national team, uh, but now we're getting the other side of that. Now, for my money, I think Ricardo Pepe still offers more than anybody else in the striker pool right now. I think there's a good reason why he's commanding so much attention and potentially a huge dollar sum uh, for his transfer and for his services uh, over the next few years in Europe. Europe, uh, I, I think he's still number one in the clubhouse for me, and the and the striker I'd like to see to get the most minutes in the next window. That being said, I don't think that he's like the. He, He's not the savior. He's not Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He's not uh, like choose your your favorite uh, striker. He's not Lukaku. He's not Erling Haaland. He's not just like a, a difference maker on that level. I think he's still a player that's going to need service and he's going to need a lot of help around him. And wherever he's put in positions and given a lot of service, he can be good for us. I think he can be better for us than anybody else that we have in this particular moment. But he's not just going to uh, take over games for us and dominate. At least not yet. At least not in this moment of time. Maybe. He gets to Europe and he hits another uh, growth spurt as far as his ability and and just becomes a little bit more consistent and a little bit more decisive. Uh, But... You know, watching Ricardo Pepe had that moment in front of goal where the ball just kind of trickled past him and he couldn't kind of get his feet in the right position to put that strike on goal was was tough, especially considering that the last few months we've been hearing a lot of that chirping about how Pepe hasn't been scoring goals. I would have felt so much better about the U.S. men's national team and life and everything else moving forward had Pepe, Pepe been able to get a leg out and put that in the back of the net. But it did not happen. Uh, so there we are. That was kind of a uh, that was kind of the starting eleven. Now, we did have some guys come in. You know, uh, Jonathan Gomez came in late. Cole Bassett came in late. Say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest-quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a light price. per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but just are grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in blush pink and beautiful blue, as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off. Price, so they won't have to. They really do make any outfit sparkle. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox Diamonds, never a dull moment k Cal came in late. Uh, hard to say a whole lot about their games. You know, we know a lot about k Uh Very physical, uh, very decisive. Downhill runner, not so technical, and I think we saw a little bit of that. Uh, the the things that were uh, more notable, I think, than the players that did come on were the players that didn't come on. Uh, and Caden Clark was one of the headliners coming into this uh, this game. A player that is reportedly on his way to Leipzig in this transfer window uh, did not get any minutes uh, during this game. So for me, that, that, that means a couple of things. So either Greg Berhalter doesn't rate him at all over players like Cole Bassett and Christian Roldan and Kelna Costa, or... Caden Clark is about to make this move to Leipzig and at that move they're going to evaluate him and their evaluation is going to determine whether he stays at Leipzig or makes a move elsewhere and that determination is going to have a major impact on Caden's life uh potentially for the next decade you know it is a massive massive tryout uh that's coming up and I think that uh potentially, maybe someone in Caden's camp, maybe someone in Leipzig's camp, maybe it was Greg himself said, you know what, Caden, I don't think that you need to be out there for this Bosnia friendly. I don't think that uh, this is the moment for you. I, I, I don't think that this 90 minutes uh, against Bosnia in December uh, is more important than, the, uh, than than your your trial over at Leipzig. I call it a trial. You, you guys know what I mean. We're, his evaluation over at Leipzig. Uh, I think that that was the decision that was made, and that's the reason why we didn't see Caden Clark. Uh, Taylor Booth is the other player that people were disappointed that we didn't get to see. You know, I, I haven't watched uh, much Taylor Booth. Uh, admittedly, he's he's in a pretty low level. I haven't watched many of his games for Bayern Munich, too. If you have more power to you, let me know how he's been doing in the comment section. Uh, but I think it's, it's fair to say that I don't think that Taylor Booth is going to be in the plans, at least in the near term, uh, unless something drastic happens with his club situation uh, going into 2022. And that kind of brings me to the the, the, um, the points that I have following this game. I have three big lessons that I think are, are really important uh, to, to, to learn moving forward. Three things that I think are very important for the perspective of this camp in general. Uh, and the first thing is that I don't think that the 90 minutes on the field during this camp, I don't think that the game against Bosnia-Herzegovina were as important as the time spent in the camp, uh, the face time with the coach. And I I think that that is true for a lot of these players. I think that's true for Taylor Booth. I think that's true for Jonathan Gomez. I think that's true for Caden Clark, Cade Cowell, all these guys. Uh, Some of these guys have represented the national team at youth level, but I'm fairly certain that this is the first time they've gotten extended minutes With Greg Berhalter, so Greg uh, got to learn about them, got to meet them, got to meet them personally. Uh, Very important. Uh, We've seen that Greg tends to go with the players that he sees on a regular basis, which is also part of human nature. Humans tend to go with the people that they know personally. Uh, So building that chemistry uh, with Greg, I think is going to be very important for a lot of these players moving forward. And I think that that chemistry built during the camp, during these extended weeks with Greg uh, is more important than how they performed in that actual game, especially considering how just vanilla and boring that game was. The second lesson that I think uh, is important for the fan base to, to learn is that sometimes the lesson you learn from a friendly is not the lesson that you wanted to learn. And, and that's, that's swallowing the pill that maybe some of these youth prospects are not going to be relevant to the 2022 World Cup campaign. Maybe they're going to be 2026 guys. Uh, maybe the young players that we have coming up are not going to be able to push out some of the veterans that we have. Uh, maybe. Maybe, and that's that's a that's a reality that we kind of have to accept whenever it comes to guys like Taylor Booth and Jonathan Gomez and uh, and and Caden Clark, Cade Cowell. These are very good, very young players and could potentially have very long and, and successful national team careers, but it might not be in this window because we just don't have very much time. Uh, we have about a calendar, We have about a year until the World Cup, uh, and, and we don't have much season. Some of these guys are going to be out of season. Some of these guys are going to be starting brand new at brand new club situations, and it's going to be difficult over that time to break into the national team, uh, which brings me to my third point, and that is – The national team now is way more difficult to break into than it was two years ago. Two years ago, the national team had pretty much a complete reset, and we tossed out a lot of the old guard and brought in a lot of young players. And that meant that a lot of players that maybe didn't quite have the most impressive uh, resume coming in uh, were given an an extended opportunity to join the national team and, um, and see what they could do. Whenever you look at, say, like... I think a good comparison would be Tim Weah and Conrad De La Fuente. I mean, like, on paper, Conrad's resume and Tim Weah's resume are not too dissimilar. They both uh, were youth players for very big clubs. Uh, Tim Weah over at PSG and Conrad over at Barca they both got a few appearances for those big clubs uh, in in some games that were uh, well in hand for their club Uh, and then they get the move to a French team uh, and and then they start getting playing time and for Tim Weah that was enough to become a regular for the national team Uh, for Conrad it's not going to be as easy because he's got these players in front of him because all of a sudden whenever Tim Weah was coming into the national team it was who in the world is going to play winger for the U.S. men's national team? We had Christian Pulisic and uh, I, who else? At this point, Conrad's got four very good wingers, uh, very good young wingers that he's going to have to get ahead of in order to break into the team. And then he's got some veterans like Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola that uh, the coach has a lot of faith in and has seen a lot and, and appreciates what they bring to the group. So for players like Jonathan Gomez, for players like Caden Clark and k Cal, it's going to be much more difficult – to break into this national team than for maybe their counterparts only a, a few years uh, older than them. And that's not a bad thing at all. That's a very good thing. That's a that's a sign that the program is moving forward, uh, and it's a sign that a lot of these young players that we developed and had high hopes for are beginning to live up to that expectation uh, that, that we had for them. A lot of these guys, I mean, just a few years ago, uh, you know, Tyler Adams was just breaking into Red Bull. Uh, Gio Reyna was transferring over to Dortmund with the whole world in front of him, you know, Same thing for Christian Pulisic. Christian Pulisic was making that move to Chelsea, and we weren't really sure what was going to happen. Weston McKinney was this utility player for this really bad Schalke team, uh, and we didn't know if he was playing because the team was so bad or if what we were seeing was actually real, if he was actually a good player. Fast forward a few years, all these guys are very important parts of Champions League teams. Uh, The the talent pool has developed really, really well, better than I really could have hoped for uh, at this point in time. So... Hopefully that continues. Hopefully that next generation continues to push this current generation, but it's going to be way more difficult for those new players to break in because they're going to have to – be even better than that previous generation was in order to surpass the current generation. I know I'm speaking a lot in the space-time continuum, but I hope you guys kept up with that. Uh, so that was kind of what I thought about this particular camp for the national team. Uh, it I wasn't too excited about it. I'm very glad that it happened. I'm always glad whenever players get opportunities, whenever players get face time with a coach. We don't know. Maybe down the road, uh, maybe down the road this camp is the reason why Jonathan Gomez chooses the U.S. and he ends up being a really important player for us uh, a few years down the road. Uh, maybe this is the thing that that inspired. Maybe maybe Cade, uh, Caden Clark learned something in this camp that he's going to be able to take to Leipzig and just be that much more confident and ready uh, whenever he's given his opportunity to show what he can do. This this roster is just getting more and more difficult, which is important because we've got some difficult fixtures coming up in January. I believe January 6th is whenever. Um, the next January camp, whenever the January camp is going to start, whenever it ceases to be the December camp and turns into the January camp, and all the first-team players come in uh, ahead of that all-important three-game World Cup qualifying window that's got Canada included in the mix and I know everybody wants to beat Canada I know that the trash talking between the US and Canada is heating up but to me that's the least important fixture in that three-game window we've got two home games if we win those two home games we're basically at the World Cup we basically could purchase our plane tickets at that point so a very important window coming up if we're able to take care of business in that window who knows maybe some of the players that these young players that we're talking about We'll then have an opportunity to come in for some World Cup qualifiers. Uh, I I don't know. At that point, we'll be playing with house money and Greg can kind of do whatever he wants. But that's it for me for this video. I'm curious about your thoughts on the game. Were you as unimpressed as I was or were you actually really excited about that? Were you disappointed that uh, Caden Clark didn't get to play or Jonathan Gomez didn't start? Guys, thank you so much for watching. My name is Sam and this is the Yank Report.